Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. All right, now we'll have a reading by someone. Reading by me. There we go, there we go. I didn't know if Marcus had jumped on. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Hear now the words of Isaiah from chapter 61, verses one through three. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy, in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement, the word of God for the people of God. We all pray with me. God, you are our God. You have placed imagination and the imagination of generations and generations of faithful people our imagination to set the captives free, God, goddess, spirit, creatrix. You're searching endlessly and restlessly for those in despair. We come to you this morning and pray with you that they may find life, the life that you have called us to, God. We come to you this morning searching as well. Grant us your loving and hopeful imagination to begin again. Make room in us to see the ways that we might have been blinded. Allow us to open up, open ourselves up to your restorative possibilities. Open us all up. Make room in us, God. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Black Messiah, Jesus. Amen. 
the spirit of the Lord is upon us. We begin 2021. This day is the beginning. We begin again this Sunday. Y'all feel that? Are you beginning your year again right now? Beginning again this Sunday. This is another year, one that has to be better than last year, let's be honest. Beginnings can feel tenuous at time. Maybe they start off slow. We take these small moments, we see the importance in them. I found myself relating to this poem, these beautiful words of Dorian Lowe. Say goodbye to disaster. Shake hands with the unknown. What becomes of us once we've been torn apart and returned to our future, naked and small, sewn back together, scar by scar? We begin again. Perhaps our skin is a little tight from scarring and healing. We might be apprehensive. We might find ourselves watchful, vigilant, careful. In many traditions, how we begin the year reflects on how we will pass the entire year. What are your traditions? How do you start off the year? Engage with us if you want in the chat. Did you clean your entire house? Did you make sure you did lots of resting and reading? I found myself looking back to the beginning of last year, wondering what I was doing, if I had cursed the year, you know, superstitious thoughts. But I couldn't quite remember. And of course, my wife remembered immediately. We were traveling home from Massachusetts on December 31st, remember traveling. Um, we were on a plane and when we got to, when we got home, we kind of just chilled. We, we spent, we didn't do much for the new year to bring it in. We retired. We stayed at the house on that last day of 2020, of 2019, excuse me. We stayed at the house. Hmm. See, we sure did spend a lot of time in the house in 2020. I'm just saying maybe the Jarrett's caused it. No. But how many of us believe that what we do on the first day of the year, maybe that first Sunday even, dictates how we will spend our whole year? How many of us think our first few firsts of the year are the beginning of our habits, habits that we will carry throughout the whole year? How many of us eat Grit, eat, eat collards and black-eyed peas in our Southern tradition. You know, if you get those in, everything's going to be all right, right? But I did have those last year too. Uh, we begin again this Sunday, sewn back together, maybe tenuous, maybe careful, or maybe we're just feeling our own growth. Maybe we're feeling like we, nothing can hold us down. We made it through 2020 and we're off, right? And as a church, at the beginning of 2020, last year, we cast this vision for the boundless God. We cast this 2020 vision. I keep thinking about that because I do think 
we got a healthy dose of clarity in 2020. We got a healthy dose of our own mortality. We got a clearer picture of systems of injustice. We were seeing clearly. We spent 2020 with our eyes wide open. We have spent 2020, maybe some of us beginning to heal. The wounds are not healed yet. We've just only begun. We are still yet sewn together. Some of us waiting for our scar tissue, still stretching into that new skin. But the time is now to begin again, 2021. Luis keeps calling it 2021 which I think is, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to leave that in 2022. But we begin today our first sermon series of 2020. I think it's important. And as we heard in Mickey Scott Bay Jones's invitation, we have the right to begin somewhere and continue to grow. So let's say we're beginning now. This is our somewhere. This is our 2021 starting point. We choose this moment and intentionally, we are aiming to begin this year with action. This sermon series is the road to abolition. We begin today on this road. Pack your bags. It is our hope that we travel this road toward a framework for becoming an abolitionist church. What does that mean? We're figuring that out together. A church, perhaps, that intentionally takes the path of freedom, chooses freedom for all, chooses mutuality, a church that spends time in restorative process, a church that invests and divests with our community deliberately. And as a church, we begin to move from this place of knowing, this place of rehearsing, this place of spouting and touting and preaching about systemic injustice, about mass incarceration, to practicing redemptive community, giving us methods of joining and reciprocal relationship, mutuality. We say that word, but we need practices. We begin today on this road. And I think that Park Ave is this incredible space to do it. Park Ave is an in is the environment to move from simply knowing, knowing about the injustice of mass incarceration to advocating in different and interesting and, and maybe uncomfortable ways. There is so much that goes into this conversation. We don't start this lightly, right? Abolition has so many frameworks overlapping, intertwining. So we're coupling this series with the class Micah Herskind, who is here in worship this morning, we love you, Micah, has helped me and is brainstorming a framework for us to look at abolition each week. Um, and I'll be there to help, really. It's Micah who's facilitating this. He has done tons of work with abolitionist communities, and he's bringing in people. He's recommended preachers for this sermon series as well. Join us Wednesday nights, good old Sunday school. Good old uh, Wednesday night Bible study, let's say. We don't walk this road alone. There's going to be a lot to unpack. We begin today again. We acknowledge that theological and moral imaginations are tested and stretched 
by questions about how God intends for God's people to live out radical equity, community justice. Our passage today from Isaiah is one such theological dream, I think. The Lord's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners. This image of liberation, it's powerful. It has a long timeline in our sacred text, not just in Isaiah, but back to Leviticus and through Jesus's ministry. This powerful, imagined, liberative future is captivating. But have we gotten to a place where this image is a little tight in our skin? Does it feel a little scary? I think it's been wielded against us in some ways to make us scared. In fact, this almost this exact picture has been painted of the liberal John Ossoff and radical Raphael Warnock, right? We are being bombarded right now with these political ads. Tomorrow, I can't not preach and, and not say this, tomorrow we should vote if you haven't already. But you probably have received eight text messages a day and three phone calls about it. So I think you're all set. But I think we hear this political messaging that is trying to get us to be afraid of what abolition might look like, right? But these are emotional reactions that cause many to be fearful of police divestment and the movement toward defunding the police. We have become dependent in many ways as a community, as a culture on mass incarceration, on policing and on militarism. Even though like, like many of us, myself, I would be the first to say that BLM and the movement for black justice in this country needs to be pushed forward is the most pressing issue today. So we know that there's so many different layers, right? And so my question and what led us to decide on this sermon series is asking ourselves, what are the concrete steps we can take to begin to win back our moral imaginations to create again, God's vision for justice? One step is to acknowledge that our imaginations have been stricken, that our imaginations have become a little feeble due to our dependence, I think, on a historical critical analysis of scripture. We in American culture particularly are addicted to facts. Facts. What are the facts? <laughs> How do facts play into God's miraculous history? How do facts play into the story of our biblical text? I think it's important, but maybe we've put too much emphasis on that. Many of us grew up with the historical Jesus. I think that was our generation, the generation previous to us, the historical Jesus. We've had to have this concrete fact, this certainty, and we today hold hands with the unknown, the moving forward, the future. We're making room 
as Chauncey sang this morning so beautifully. But we need to continue to unpack this. That's what this sermon series is about. We forgot, maybe, how important dreams, visions, images, reverie, and fantasy are. Maybe this lack of imagination can be tied to the defunding of the arts and public education, but I think that's a whole other sermon and for a whole other platform. So despite this story, this story of the Jubilee and its pervasiveness throughout our scripture as an image of freedom from Leviticus, like I said, to Isaiah, to Luke's gospel, where Jesus read from the scroll in Nazareth, despite these many references, the Jubilee has never been historically corroborated, right? And that's kind of this, the first thing we learn about it. I remember first learning about the actual practice of the forgiveness of debts and the release of prisoners. I remember that moment when they were like, yeah, but that's never happened. In fact, if you Google it, you should try this after service. If you Google it, the first 10, 15 sites that come up about Jubilee are about how it never happened and how the narrative often in evangelical contexts is dominated by, okay, how this doesn't apply. And I want to ask the question, how this applies? How does this apply to our life? And so I think just remembering when I heard that it didn't apply, how my heart sunk, I want to say today, let's, let's get excited again about this scripture. Let's not let historical critical damage our imaginations, right? Let's have enough spirit. Let's have enough hope. Let's have enough joy, redemption, and believe enough in grace and the good news to believe in this image of Jubilee. I won't let this radical imaginative dream spoken across the spectrum of time be hedged or weakened. Here again, God has anointed and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for the prisoners. This is a dream spoken out loud, a vision given by God, not just once, but over and over again. <sighs> this vision, let's not let it die. Isaiah 61, third Isaiah has identified a savior in this moment, the savior that has been anointed and sent, sent to a people in exile, sent to those sewn up sent to a scarred people, sent with a message of hope, sent with good news. We today are that community in exile. 2020 has exiled us. We leave it behind, but it will always impact us. We begin again seeking hope, seeking hope, needing hope, lacking faith, traumatized, incarcerated, beaten down, our dreams rendered small, our imaginations put in a box, we begin again to envision, to believe, to believe in a dream, to hope against a hope. And most of us want to move toward this vision in faith, not fear. 
That's why we show up to this space to find our faith and to see our faith reflected. I read the book Break Every Yoke in preparation for this sermon, and Lloyd and Dubler, the authors, explain the many and overlapping angles with which to approach abolition. These frameworks are not all encompassing. There's not one that fits, but together they weave a web, a web of systemic injustice. Mass incarceration is big, right? And to begin to understand, to begin to pull each thread and unravel, we need to start by believing, simply believing. And that's hard. It's harder than we think. I'm saying this sermon to myself this morning. One of the most striking examples from the book of how my own moral imagination, and many of you might relate, have weakened due to this prolonged exposure, this dependence on an unjust retributive system really hit home with me while I was reading this book. My own failure to imagine better justice was exposed to myself. Lloyd and Dubler used the example of the sentencing of Brock Turner. Brock Turner, as you might remember, was convicted of rape. Stanford, white man. He received six months in jail. I have to admit, I wanted him to get more. Wanting retribution for crimes that overlap with our own traumas seems really natural, right? And that's what I've been programmed to believe, and I think many of us have. I am fully aware of the traumas of incarceration, yet I want indictments. I want justice for those mounting numbers of police who have killed Black people. I do. I want that retribution. And I think I'm in good company. In the book, the authors reflected on the work of Ta-Nehisi Coates in his first book, who wrote it after the failure of the court system to indict in the murder of Michael Brown. Lloyd and Dubler juxtapose the dreams of Martin Luther King Jr. for freedom, for abolition, in contrast to our very small hopes for retribution. They describe it as putting our dream in a box, and I think that's so right. Or maybe putting it in a cell, eight by 10. That dream can be bigger. That dream can look like communities reconciled. That dream can look like right relationship. That dream can look like grace. I want to dream bigger. And I hope that you guys are with me this morning. I want to dream bigger. I want to dare to have abolitionist dreams and carceral paradigms, retributive paradigms. The justice system we have right now is so close and it's so easy to reach for. But what are our other options? I begin again to imagine with Isaiah. I hear it in Naritha's voice as she read. In that moment, Naritha was anointed. She was the anointed one sent to preach that message. We need to hear it in each other's voices and believe it again. I hear it in your voice, Naritha. Say it out loud this week, y'all. Say it out loud. 
call me, I'll say it out loud to you again, when your hope wanes. And our hope might wane in the face of so much injustice, mass incarceration, militarism, policing, white supremacy, anti-Black violence, there's so much. These overlapping frameworks make it almost impossible to disassemble, but we have a historic record of trying to disassemble it one piece at a time, one improvement at a time, as long as the history of mass incarceration. And I think we can say without a doubt that small improvements won't work. They can't adjust a system, a system that is rooted in white supremacy. We all have read the new Jim Crow. Michelle Alexander described it perfectly. It is a system designed to do exactly what it's doing. So our only move is to seek for abolition. Our only move as people of faith, our only move as justice-seeking individuals is to begin again, begin this road together. We begin in this time to find our way toward a common language of abolition. One that is not rooted in sound bites. It's bigger than that. One that is deeply connected and passionate and rooted in our faith. This vision of abolition is as old as our oldest prophetic writings. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because I have been anointed and sent to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners. There is a reason that this scripture is a scripture that Jesus reads out loud in the synagogue in his hometown. Maybe Jesus was saying, begin again to dream. Jesus in his hometown speaking to a colonized community, a community that has shaken hands with the unknown, a community that has been torn apart and returned to its unknown future, sewn back together, scar by scar. This is us right now, Park Avenue. We need to remind ourselves that other ways are possible. We have some learning to do as a community, yes. Instead of just calling out injustice, our point is to build up a theology through which we can build a pathway toward divesting from carceral systems toward restorative process. Park Ave, you are the experts at beginning again. You inspire me. You show me over and over the power of perseverance. Over and over again, you are reborn as a community. You are scrappy and innovative. Begin again with me. Together, you are sewn together and healing out loud. Every time you show up, you give me so much hope. Read this text out loud with me. Read it with us. I'm blessed to be a part of it with you. Will you begin again with me this morning? May God make it so. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. 
Now go into a world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God that created you loves you. And empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively. And serve creatively. Creatively.